electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Remember how, how you... When you were in school, there were always these kids, these really smart kids who knew everything about science. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the the kids uh, who, if you saw them in your class, you immediately worried about your transcript because you knew they would throw off the curve. Well, guess what? They all work at Alphabet. Yeah, the artist formerly known as Google, which is how its stock could soar 7.5% today, leading the whole market higher, Dow advancing 224 points, S&P gaining 0.94%, NASDAQ climbing 0.50%. And yes, I'm quite aware that each day is unto its own, tomorrow will be quite different. Now, it's not just Google. We know that there are a ton of brainiacs at Apple, at Microsoft, at Tesla, and Amazon, which reports tomorrow. If they have a bad number, you'll think they're idiots, but they're not. And maybe they're not as smart at as we thought of Facebook, uh, given that hideous disappointment at the close, but we're going to try to make sense of that. And of all these big tech companies, of all the megas, it's really only Google that truly astonishes, both with its brilliance and its relatively inexpensive stock, even after its 200-point or 7% run today. These guys really do blow me away. Now, I haven't met CEO Sundar Pinchai, but I sense I would need some textbooks or maybe a Google app just to keep up a conversation with this man. In a world of far too glib and promotional conference calls, and I go through them all, these guys really are from a different order. I, I, well, I just want you to listen to how Pinchai started his conference call. I'm going to quote. I'll begin by touching on a few highlights from Q4. Our new AI models are helping to create information experiences that are truly conversational, multimodal, and personal. For example, multitask unified model, or MUM for short, has improved searches for vaccine information. And soon we'll introduce new ways to search with images and words simultaneously, end quote. And we wonder why they're unassailable in search. What what did the government do, like make them dumber? I mean, come on. Their closest competitor, Bing, feels like a search engine. No, feels less like a search engine and more like a punchline. A sooner goes on, quote, 
In October, we introduced a new AI architecture called Pathways. AI models are typically trained to do one thing. With Pathways, a single model can be trained to do thousands, even millions of things, from MUM to Pathways to BERT. And more, these deep AI investments are helping us lead in search quality, end quote. Sounds good, right? I mean, I didn't take any of those classes, but it rolls off the tongue so well. Bert. Okay, I'll take it. Mom. Uh, what's my mom? Mom. Now, how powerful is the platform? He, talk- <laughs> this is- he talks about deep minds protein folding system. You know, alpha fold which is their program for figuring out the structure of proteins. Of course, it takes scientists more than 50 years to decode 150,000 proteins. With its AI platform, Alphabet plans to cover 100 million of them just this year alone. How great! What's AlphaFold? What's DeepMind? What's Pro... Terrific! I mean, all I know is get me the hell out of that class. Now, I could go on and on. The whole cop school's like that. It's filled with things I don't understand. But I know what they're doing. They're fighting inflation. They're allowing companies to spend pennies to get all kinds of customers. They are making it so that the world is smarter and better. I have never met anyone in business, small or large, who even debated for a second the value proposition of being in Google. Because it's right where you want to be, and it isn't disremediated by Apple's privacy screens. They don't talk down to you. They give you the straight stuff. I'm sure there are plenty of people who are into mum, okay? Let alone Bert. I'm into the numbers. Plus, YouTube makes more money for Alphabet than any other set of networks. And, of course, next to nothing for them to generate that content. I want to be the When I grew up, I want to be Google. Yet the stock is so cheap that Alphabet felt compelled to buy back $50 billion worth of shares last, last year. Retiring more than 5% of the share count. Hey, I mean, one was a throwaway. The company goes like, oh, yeah, and we bought back $50 billion. Oh, yeah, we bought $50 billion. Okay. Now, but you know what? While I applaud these guys and always get angry when some government agency tries to break them up or hector them because they make my life easier. I don't know about you. I want to say thank you to Alphabet for something else they did last night. And this is what I, the heart of what I want to talk about in a dispiriting day, for, for whether it be with Meta or whether it be with PayPal. I'll talk about that later. These guys did something that I really like. They announced a 20 for one split. Sure, a few of other prominent companies have split their stocks, Apple and Tesla named two. But this is different. Google was the first of the entire mega tech complex that openly embraced the idea of not splitting its stock. It was almost like they thought that their stock's high dollar amount was some sort of symbol of greatness. I remember in the old days, as it went up, I used to write the dollar amounts for each centennial mark on my knuckles and urge people to buy 300, 400, 500, 600, kind of like Robert Mitchum in an older movie that I really like. Unfortunately, as Google reached higher and higher levels, it started losing adherence. It started losing our viewers. Regular investors want to own more than one share when they buy something, so many people were priced out of the way, especially when it hit 3,000 as it did today. Maybe Alphabet aspired to be the next Berkshire Hathaway, run by the one man who seems to revel in the notion of having a stock that's unattainable for most, but that's not really Alphabet's ethos. Now, the brokers figured out that they had to do something. For for example, the folks at Robinhood started offering fractional shares. Some of the others do, too. So you can buy, let's say you pick up the phone. You say, look, I'd like it. Or enter, of course. You, you can buy $800 worth of Alphabet, $200 worth of Amazon. Now, the people at Robinhood, who have a very good relationship, tell me that is working. But I still think this stock split is a good idea because splits do more than just make it easier to buy multiple shares at once. Now, before I'm too criticized about this versus everything else that I've been doing lately, let me acknowledge that it is all alchemy. 
Okay, and you can Google alchemy if you think it's you don't know what alchemy is. I know splits create no actual value. If you have a pencil, okay, and you break it in half, do you have more pencil? No, you don't get more pencil. But you do have two pencils, right? Sleight of hand. What matters is threefold, though. First, a split is assigned to regular investors, regular investors, okay, that the company's doing well, better than we thought. Now, we can try to stamp that thinking out, but it won't work. That is always how you hear it on the lightning round. People always call about that. I can tell them, hey, listen, you're, you're dumb. You're wrong. I'm not doing that. I'm not bigger than the concept. Second, individuals who don't want the clumsiness of fractional shares, and they are clumsy, will eagerly start buying when they finally get a chance to pick up 10 shares of a juggernaut like Google. And finally, given what this company's brainiacs know about you, about consumer preferences, this is a decision that will have very wide implications. Alphabet knows you better than you know yourself. They have your search history. So if they think a 20-for-1 stock split is a good idea, they're going to be right. Other CEOs will begin to question why they have to bend over backward to satisfy institutional investors, hence this term institutional bias, with high dollar amount stocks. Remember, when money managers buy or sell stock, they pay commission by the share. So it's always going to be cheaper for them to buy 10 shares of Google at 2960 than it would be to buy 200 shares at 148 So the institutions have browbeaten all the CEOs and CFOs into going their way and letting these stocks get to prices that you and I can't afford. And that drives me crazy. Now, this is all fabulous news to someone who's always trying to get people into the stock market, especially individual common stocks of high-quality companies, rather than high-risk, out-of-the-money call options or idiotic ETFs. Just average, just, I see them endlessly just to capture the flavor of the day. I think that they are just... just they just annihilate your capital. At the same time, big tech companies that have refused to split their stocks are an anathema to ordinary investors. I think Google has finally realized that ordinary investors actually make for a great shareholder base. These people, including you who watch the show, and this is who I'm talking about, of course, you don't dump the stock on the first sign that the cost of user acquisition has jumped or that Waymo's self-driving car technology is delayed or Google Cloud didn't make an additional $50 million. You're in for the long haul. That's who they should want. Maybe the companies are starting to get it through their thick heads that they should want you as shareholders. In the old days, the stock split was a badge of honor. It meant your stock had broken out of the pack and wanted to keep getting sponsorship from individual investors. Every study I've ever seen tells me that when stocks split, they go up big on the announcement and then they stay up. Now, I know it makes no sense mathematically. Once again, you do not get a larger pencil, okay? But... The stock market runs on emotion, not on math. Yet a stock split like this tells investors that Alphabet is rewarding people for sticking with it. You don't see a lot of 10 or 20 or $30 stock splitting. What's the point? The bottom line, if a company like Alphabet can split, all right, anyone can. And I think everyone will. And if the geniuses at this company who knew better than we know ourselves say split, then I think we'll end up welcoming a whole new cohort of investors to the market, one that's been missing out for years. People with enough disposable cash to buy 10 shares of a $150 stock, but not enough money to buy one share of a $2,900 stock. Let's go to questions. Let's go to Paul in Texas. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Uh, about two, three weeks ago, you did a segment in reference to good companies with broken stocks. Stocks, for whatever reason, they're taken down. 
About that same time, Humana put out a report that they were only going to get about half of the new members for their Advantage Medicare plan. Right. And they took a hit from about 450 down to $350. And they reported today they're up about $50 of that $100 drop. So one... Is Humana a good company with a broken stock? And number two, if I were to start a small position in it, would I do it now or would I wait for the first quarter report for 2022 to see how this new member's number plays out? Thank you, Jim. Okay, very, very uh, thoughtful question by Paul in Texas. I thought the Humana quarter was good, but just to be clear, I thought the United Health and Centene quarters were great. UNH being the best at what it does in terms of technology. Centene, Michael Nidorf, also possible suitor in that company. I prefer those, but Humana's quarter was not nearly as bad as people thought. All right. If a star student like Google, who knows what mom is and is certainly excellent at BERT and can do deep field because they want to do that thing with the proteins. Well, if they're doing a stock split, you can bet others will follow suit. On Man Money Tonight, could one man's trash be another man's treasure? I'm checking in with the CEO of Waste Management. Now, that's a little easier for me to understand. To see if the old adage could ring true on Wall Street. Then, does Katara Energy deserve to be viewed in the same way to say Devin and Pioneer, two winners? I'm going to drill into the latest oil and gas play. And i got to tell you something. I think it's very tactical, $2, $22 stock. And then, hey, how about Thermo Fisher? Yeah, they reported strong fourth quarter results, citing COVID-related revenue. But what could that mean if COVID rolls over? Well, why don't we talk to the CEO, Mark Casper, and find out. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. What do you do with an economically sensitive stock? when we don't have much visibility into where the economy is really headed. And that is the conundrum plaguing waste management, the largest player in the North American waste disposal business. This is a very well-run company, but it's tied to the fate of the economy because more commerce and construction translate into more garbage. That's why this stock has been falling over the past few weeks. This morning, though, waste management reported perfectly in line quarter, didn't give all that much ammunition to the bulls or the bears. These numbers were kind of exactly what Wall Street was expecting. So if we want insight, we need to go straight to the source. We need to go to Jim Fish, the president and CEO of Waste Management, to learn more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Fish, welcome back to Made Money. Jim, good to see you. I have to tell you, Jim, you are a candid man. And at one point, you're talking about labor and you say people don't want to throw trash into trucks. And yet you're getting them. But at the same time, you made it very clear you've got to find technology to take the place of people. How do you get the people to do those tough jobs and also get the technology? Jimmy, you know, I, it was interesting. I was talking to my 18-year-old last year, and she said, Dad, I, you may not want to hear this, but people aren't talking about driving trucks at, at my high school or operating heavy equipment. And, and that kind of hit me a little bit. So uh, we've, been, we've been investing in technology now for a couple of years and looking at the uses for it uh, in terms of, of these high turnover positions. How do, we, how do we automate some of those roles and take advantage of the attrition that we have? And, and, and really, that's the objective here is to reduce the labor dependency by uh, taking advantage of these high uh, turnover positions. But at the same time, I mean, just to pay people what they deserve to get them to work, there is real inflation going on in the system right now. Absolutely real inflation. Uh, We we saw somewhere in the neighborhood of 9% labor inflation for the quarter, and that was on top of of, uh, an even bigger number for third quarter. This thing came out of of nowhere, really. I, I don't think anybody expected it to come on that quickly. There definitely is inflation out there. We're, we're doing a good job of, of covering most of it with cost. But the other piece, of course, is this, uh, this labor productivity that I just mentioned. So who's making uh, technology that can help you? Well, so it comes to the buckets that we, we expect to, to uh, use, where we expect to use technology are places like uh, our single stream plants. And that equipment is, is made overseas. We'll see whether there are, are uh, you know, shortages there. We don't, we, we don't expect there to be, but the, the delivery times are a bit longer. So as, you, as, as you've been to some of our single stream plants, they're just tailor-made for automation when you think about the, the sorters there and, and replacing uh, some of our old equipment with higher-tech optical sorters. That enables us to reduce labor by as much as, as 40 or 50 percent. Uh, one of the other buckets is is taking old-style rear loaders, been around for 50 years, and just replacing those with uh, those ASLs, those automated side loaders that pick up the carts. 
and, and therefore you take a helper off the back. So there's a couple of different places where you get the technology. Some of it is just uh, transactional type jobs that we replace with our customer service digitalization uh, efforts. I don't know, Jim, if people understand how much you do in recycling, uh, particularly right now, but also in recycled natural gas. You are and consolidate and, and for the compressed natural gas, you are number one, number one, number one. These are all things that are great for the environment. I don't hear you talked about enough as someone that is doing more recycling than anybody else and is really helping us when it comes to natural gas. I think, Jim, one of the coolest stories is when you think about our natural gas fleet, which is about 70% of our routed trucks are now natural gas. And, and I was out uh, at our Skyline facility, new uh, natural gas RNG plant, and it has also a landfill and a, and a big hauling company. And I was there a couple weeks ago. And so a truck drives by, and that truck is, is loaded with waste. It goes to the landfill and dumps it in a landfill, and that, that decomposes. And then we pump it out of the landfill, clean it up, and turn it into – Pipeline quality natural gas that we that we then turn around and put back in the truck. It's truly a 360 degree sustainability story, and I think you're right. We we don't get enough uh, enough credit for that, but, but we're working on it. Yeah, I know. I went to the uh, your Camden uh, facility where you were filling uh, trucks, and I I think right. a lot of people just feel like dirty trucks, horrible. But how about the fact that recycled natural gas is terrific? The other thing I see you're keeping up. You got the churns very low, but there is along with the inflation some very good business going on around the country. You've got some really big contracts and are doing a lot of good things. Well, if you look at 22, and, and I talked a lot about it this morning, but. Our, our guidance that we just gave for 2022 is pretty darn robust. I mean, we're, we're talking about 7% EBITDA, 6% revenue. That's at the very top end of the range that we gave a couple years ago at an investor day. And that's in the face of still a pandemic out there and, and still this, this high inflation. And yet we're, we're at the very top end of the range, and it's all organic. Jim, we're, we, we really haven't bought anything of size in the in the last 12 months. I also think you don't get credit. People don't realize you are a dividend aristocrat. Again, very big dividend boost. People have to understand you can you can reinvest that dividend, get more waste management. It's been an unbelievable story. That's a big number that you picked this year to increase. How did you come to that? It, it wasn't uh, without, you know, looking at the, the figures. Uh, you know, we, we look a lot at free cash flow, and, and our dividend is based on a percentage of that. And, and we try and, and be in that 40 to 45 percent uh, payout range for cash. When we looked at it, we said our baseline has moved up. I mean, this business is generating a lot of cash. So hence the, the 30 cents uh, per share increase, 13 uh, percent in percentage terms. And, and at the same time, we've, we've authorized uh, the board authorized one point five billion dollars worth of share purchase. And we're investing in these plants, uh, the, the renewable natural gas and recycle plants to the tune of an incremental $550 million. So the business has thrown off a ton of cash, and, and we're giving a lot of it back to shareholders. Well, look, I think it's terrific. You know, I've been a, a fan of your stock literally forever. Mr. Steiner, during that period, too, it's just been a consistent winner. I'm so glad to see I haven't seen it in a long time. It's been way too long. Congratulations to Jim Fish, Waste Management President and CEO WM, for a really, really good showing. And when a lot of people thought that maybe things had gotten awry. No, they're good numbers. Thank you so much, Jim. Good to see you. Good to see you, Jim. Thank you. Man Money's back into the break. Coming up, Kramer's got the lowdown on an energy company with a new look. Can investors expect the same old profits? Stay tuned to find out.
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. For the better part of the last two years, energy has been by far, far and away the best performing sector in the market. Ever since crude oil briefly went negative in April of 2020, remember that? It's become a real juggernaut. Now, regular viewers know that there are a handful of players in the industry that we consider our go-to names. For instance, there's Chevron. That's my favorite integrated oil. They reported on uh, just last week. People didn't like the quarter, and then the stock flew up anyway. We went for the charitable trust and talk about it a lot at our morning meeting. Then there are the best breed exploration and production, E&P companies, like Pioneer Natural Resources and Devon, Devon Energy, both of which have what are known as bountiful variable dividends. We recently bought Devon for the trust, too. I think that's a great one. You should be following our meeting. On Friday, we will talk about how good that is. Now, I'm even warmed up, to, frankly, to ConocoPhillips. It's snapping up Shell's assets in the Permian Basin. It got them for a song. And yes, you got my busting dome Diamondback Energy, the real fang, as it's similar to Pioneer and Devon, but with more of a focus on buybacks rather than dividends. But over the past few months, I've been hearing more and more about another option in the oil patch. It's a new one, or at least a new name for an old company. I'm talking about Coterra Energy. Now, this is the enterprise that was formed last fall when the old Cabot Oil and Gas, which is kind of like a northern Pennsylvania company, basically, merged with Simrex Energy. It's a company we've liked a lot. In fact, we just got a call from this one from Jay in Wisconsin a couple days ago. So I felt we should open the books about it. We've been meaning to cover Coterra for a while, and that question lit a fire underneath us. You know we're interactive. Had to be, when I looked at it, I said, oh, man, this guy, our callers are so smart. Now, i got to admit, this one really is intriguing. Cabot and Simrex joined forces. It was an all-stock merger, which makes it very similar to Pioneer and Devon, both of which completed all-stock mergers early last year. Now, Pioneer acquired Parsley Energy as a deal that closed just days after Devon completed its acquisition of WPX Energy. Remember, Rick Moncrief, who ran WPX, the spoiler company, he became CEO of Devon. He's highly regarded. These transactions have worked out incredibly well. When you're looking at what's happening in tech, you should be thinking, ugh, what was happening in the patch? 
More importantly, the new Qatar speaks the same language as Devon and Pioneer. Now, in the old days, the oil industry was full of cowboys. They didn't care about production. They cared more about production than profitability. Every time the price of crude rallied, they drilled like crazy, flooding the market with additional supply, pushing prices right back down. In recent years, though, many of these companies have adopted a new more disciplined attitude. I've got to tell you, I never thought they'd do this. Thank, thank heavens, Russia Brazil, our energy expert, has convinced me it's really happening. See, rather than drill, baby, drill, the only thing they want to do is maximize cash flow generation in order to return that to you, the shareholders. And that's why Devin and Pioneer have been such incredible performers. Devin, best last year. Kotara, symbol CTRA, is clearly taking a cue from them. CTRA. But before I get into this, I, I, I want to explain why this stock uh, took a hit. Uh, even though it was an all-time high day. Let me give you some background so you can understand where I'm coming from. First off, you need to know that when the old Cabot Oil and Gas decided to merge with Cimerex, a deal they announced in May of last year, they were consciously aping Kramer fave Devon Energy. At the time, Devon was up 61% for the year in the wake of the WPX deal, the announcement of its variable dividend policy. Now, this was a true merger of equals with Tom, Jer- Tom Jordan. He's the terrific CEO of Cimerex, taking over as the CEO of the combined company. Dan Dingus, the CEO of Cabot, uh, taking the executive chairman spot. Where Kotara differs from Pioneer and Devon is in its holdings. Unlike the other two, Kotara has substantial exposure to natural gas. In other words, it's not as much of an oil company. While they do have a large presence in the oil-rich Permian Basin, and that's thanks to Simrex, they also have a lot of acreage in Oklahoma's Anadarko Basin, not to mention the Marcellus Shale, Pennsylvania, okay? Northeast. At the same time when the deal was announced, management went on and on about their ability to generate cash and return to shareholders with a large base dividend and a terrific variable dividend funded by 50% of the combined company's free cash flow. Because Qatar was created by an all-stock merger of equals, not a debt-fueled cash-for-stock acquisition, it's got a clean balance sheet. Now, initially, the market actually didn't like this one. Both Simrex and Cabot saw their stocks go get hit on the news. It's really curious. And then slid steadily over the following months. Wall Street could get its head around why Cabot, a natural gas producer focused on the Marcellus Shale, would merge with a southwestern oil company like Simrex. They're just different cultures. Eventually, the oil and gas prices soared over the summer. And then the deal closed on October 1st with the newly created Kotara carrying a special dividend a few days later. Over the next few weeks, the stock caught a wave of upgrades, as it finally should have. However, even after this rebound, Kotara's only run from 14 and change at its August lows to just under $23 today. That's a roughly 60% gain. But for reference, Devin is more than double over the same period. You know what? I think Kotara has some room to play catch up here, as the stock's still up only a few bucks from where it was trading when the big merger was announced last spring. Over the same period, oil and gas prices have surged. This one is under the radar screen. Kotara itself has delivered some solid results. In early November, they reported what I regard as a noisy quarter. Their production beat expectations. But uh, they got caught with their pants down thanks to some bad hedges that caused a nasty revenue hit. That's what I was worried about. It looked like maybe they weren't doing that well. Still, Kotara gave bullish production guidance for the next quarter. And more important, management told us they were accelerating their variable dividend rollout, which originally wasn't supposed to begin until the first quarter of this year. Even better, rather than 50% of the free cash flow, they decided to give you 63%. Combined with a regular dividend, guess what? They gave you a 30 cent payout for the third quarter. Now, if you analyze that number, it's a five and a quarter percent yield. And you know we're emphasizing yield on the show because the market's so volatile. So how does this stack up versus, say, Pioneer and Devon? The most important distinction is the mix of commodities. Pioneer's 60 percent oil. Devon's about half oil. Kotara's 75 percent natural gas. Remember, natural gas is up very big today. With the rest split between natural gas liquids, NGLs, and oil. I don't really care for the NGLs. This is a nat gas play. 
Now, at the moment, given the state of both commodities and our existing pipeline infrastructure, I would probably steer you more toward the oily companies with the most Permian Basin exposure. However, if you start hearing about companies having trouble getting energy out of the Permian due to a supply glut or lack of pipeline capacity, then Kotara would get more attractive versus Devon or Pioneer. Plus, over the long term, I think it makes sense to be more bullish on natural gas. We keep building more nat gas export terminals. You need massive infrastructure to liquefy this stuff so it can be transported. But most importantly, don't forget, Europe is hostage to Russian natural gas. The only way they can break free anytime soon is with liquefied natural gas from the United States. But a lot of it's already going to this to South Korea and to Asia. There's not enough. Cabot's got a lot. Cabot's now Kotara. How about these dividends? Given their estimated free cash flow for the year and their stated payout ratio, Kotara could sport a 7% yield, which puts it right between Devon 6.3 and Pioneer 7.75. I'm telling you guys, this is what the game's about. Where Kotara really stands out, though, is valuation. Oil analysts like to look at a thing called the enterprise multiple. That's the enterprise value to EBITDA ratio. Devon and Pioneer have enterprise multiples of 5.6 and 6.1, respectively. Kotara is substantially cheaper. Lower number makes it better, and it's at 4.2. It doesn't hurt that they've got the best balance sheet of the three. This one, this one is so good. I want, I don't know, i got to bullpen it in the, in the charitable trust because this is the kind of stock that makes it so you can sleep at night as opposed to some of these technology stocks that have been reporting. All right, the bottom line. When you're picking among oil and gas exploration production companies, I think this Kotara Energy absolutely now belongs on the menu. I prefer oil to natural gas, so I'd still prefer Pioneer or Devon, which our charitable trust owns and we talk about on Friday. But if you like natural gas more or something changes that hurts oil more than gas and you think this problem with Germany is intractable and Europe needs our natural gas, Kotara is the one you need to buy. Andrew in Wisconsin. Andrew. How you doing? Uh, hey, uh, how you doing, Jim? I do my job. This is Andrew from Wisconsin, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Booyah to you. Thank you. Uh, uh, I would like to talk about end phase. I'm telling you that's a good stock, and I believe that the quarterly report's coming out. And I bought it at 145, went down to 118. I'm telling you, I, I really think this is a monster. What do you think? Well, you know, look, I, I, I have, first of all, I have to tell you, I've, I've liked Enphase for a very long time. I think it's the best solar play. But I know that some of the firms that I follow are saying that the bounce is over already and you have to be careful. But I think if you take it, I know this sounds like a cop out, but longer term view in Enphase, this is really the only great way to play solar to the home that I know about. So I share your enthusiasm, Andrew, and I thank you. Let's go to Albert in Connecticut. Albert. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My of course. I just want to say something to you. Booyah, Jim! Oh, man! Thank you. Um, I learned from you quite a while ago that whenever you see a chart make a W pattern to buy it, which is exactly what I did two months ago. So with an elevated VIX, fear of rising interest rates, and now only mixed earnings in mega cap tech land, it would seem that sentiment could be defensive for a while. I know your preference has been always American Electric Power, but the technical seems better in my choice. So going into earnings, I'd like to know how likely you, you think the utility sector will be to deliver good results and specifically Con Edison. Okay, my problem with Con Edison had much more to do with, politi- with politics. I think Con Ed is great. I don't trust the state of New York, frankly. That's one of the reasons why I like American Electric Power, because I trust the different states that they're in. But look, I've always felt kind of as a company is terrific and you will do just fine. And I think you've got the right attitude. Thank you, Albert in Connecticut. Okay, right now I prefer oil to natural gas. Okay, oil hitting highs, but natural gas going up too. 
which makes me still like Pioneer, or Devon, which we own for the trust. But if you're keen on natural gas, you see how it's being exported to uh, Asia and Europe. Well, you know what? Kotara is the way to go. That's the one you should be looking at. But for my money, my exclusive with Thermo Fisher. And after putting a top and bottom line beat for the fourth quarter, I'm checking up on the life science companies with the CEO. You know it's been a big winner. Then not all disappointing earnings reports are equal. So I'm digging into Starbucks and PayPal and sharing the differences. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. beginning of the new year, we've seen a horrific sell-off in all sorts of secular growth names, not just the high-flying conceptual stocks with no earnings. I think a lot of babies ended up being thrown out with the bathwater. Babies like Thermo Fisher Scientific. That's the maker of lab equipment and, and instruments that we affectionately call the arms dealer to the life sciences industry. Now, here's a stock that peaked at $671 again last year for tumbling to the 540s at its lows last week. At this point, it's rebounded above $600, but it's still down substantially from its highs. You know, this morning, that we saw Thermo Fisher doing just fine. Company reported a blowout quarter, just an enormous top and bottom line beat. Management also raised in the four-year forecast. Yet the stock barely reacted at all because Thermo Fisher's got a big COVID testing business and Wall Street doesn't have much appreciation for Omicron-related gains. I say the numbers are the numbers, and this was one of the best beats of earnings season. Don't take it from me, though. Let's check in with Mark Casper, the chairman and CEO of Thermo Fisher Scientific, to get a better read on the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Casper, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thanks so much for having uh, me today. It's great to be back with you. Well, Mark, you know, it's funny. I always think of you as being the one that has been straight the whole way, doing great things with, uh, with this disease, with COVID, to help people and find out what they do, but never lost sight of the fact that you had a tremendous growth business away from this. It looks like the growth business, particularly with the acquisition you made for a contract research, is going incredibly strong. And I want to spend some time on that rather than just talking about Omicron and COVID. The numbers look very strong to me. Yeah, Jim, we really had a spectacular year in 2021, and it's really a credit to all of our colleagues for doing amazing work every day. We were able to grow our company uh, by over 20 percent, um, play a major role in helping support the pandemic response and fueling the growth in our base business and doing our largest acquisition in our history. So we're really excited as we enter 2022. Now, you, would you say that the, PP, this, the acquisition you made, which is a contract research organization, is that levered to more biotech companies? Is that levered for the need for drug companies to come up with innovation? Uh, that had been a company that was good. I'm counting on Thermo Fisher to take it to another level. Yeah, so when you think about PPD, um, one of the leading capabilities in contract research uh, for the biotech and pharmaceutical industry, really a key enabling step to bringing a scientific idea ultimately to an approved medicine. And we're excited to have that capability in the company. Historically, a very well-respected industry leader within its segment. And we're excited about the synergies between the two companies doing a great job supporting pharma and biotech and helping to accelerate the growth of a really strongly performing business. Okay, so let's go over uh, the COVID versus core. It is no doubt in my mind that we're not done with COVID, even everybody wants to say they are. Uh, what permanent infrastructure is needed in this country and the world to be able to deal with what we now know are going to be pandemics and unfortunately may be the way of the future? Yeah, so a lot of it is around continuing to have surveillance, sequencing and the molecular diagnostics, the PCR tests, so that you can identify early 
um, any of the emerging um, you know, pandemic issues and pathogens, and then ultimately continuing to have really strong you know, investments in the vaccine and therapy development so that should we face another challenge, that the industry can respond once again very rapidly to bring out you know, solutions to that challenge. So I think ultimately for our industry as a lifetime, and says tools and diagnostics and, and contract manufacturer, it's really going to be incredible times ahead because we enable that. And, you know, we think the growth will be very strong in our industry and we're well positioned to serve our customers and governments around the world. OK, so we keep reading everyone's into vaccines. The vaccines have been not that good at business. Now, suddenly, of course, that's changed. Uh, when someone comes up with a formula for a vaccine, they don't really have the capability without using Thermo Fisher machines to be able to figure out if it works. Correct. Yeah. So, so the role that we play uh, in the vaccines and therapies actually is in a number of ways. One, we're involved in the clinical trials to look at the efficacy, right? That's everything from the actual trials to actually the packaging work and the logistics of those trials. We then, once there's something successful, our technologies are actually used to make the vaccines and our factories can be used to actually produce it. And we've played a role in the response to the pandemic and many other aspects of healthcare in terms of our network to actually produce, you know, life-saving medicines and vaccines. So we play a broad role and um, we're a key enabler of that for the industry. Now, I think people have to know you are, of course, an American company, but the numbers you're putting up in Europe, 25 percent, Asia Pacific, grew over 20 percent, uh, just under 20 percent in China. Those are actually the they're the strongest numbers around the world. How come those countries are spending like this? Yeah. So if you think about uh, what's going on in our industry from a global perspective, you have really strong investments in the life sciences research. And you also have strengthening of the infrastructure to respond to the pandemic. So you're seeing that across the world. And, you know, and the team has done a nice job of supporting our customers globally and enabling both the pandemic response. But also the base business has been spectacular in terms of our normal activities across the world. It's really been a very strong 21. And we enter this year with incredible momentum. Now, when you look at about what this unfortunate illness has done for your business, do you feel like you've just got a whole new war chest? Because I know that some companies that are doing what you're doing are trying very hard to put that money to work in other places. So people don't think that they are just nothing but Omicron COVID. What's your next move? Yeah. So one of the things that we did with the pandemic response was we dramatically increased our investments outside of the pandemic related activities. We took our normal capital investments of about a billion dollars a year. We brought that to two and a half billion dollars last year, and we'll do that again this year. That's new capabilities, new capacity to support our growth. We increased our R&D from about a billion dollars in 2019 to 1.4 billion dollars last year to fuel a pipeline of new products. So really, the economics associated with the pandemic response has allowed us to increase our organic growth outlook for our core business from five to seven percent coming into the pandemic to actually seven to nine percent coming out of the pandemic. So it's been very tangible. And we did our largest acquisition in our most active year during the pandemic, really taking some of the cash flow, reinvesting it and further strengthening the company, spending twenty four billion dollars last year on M&A. Finally, where do you think we are in this country in uh, in Omicron and in uh, COVID in general, just as because someone you've been with this the whole way, you've been involved with the president, the government. Where do you think we are in terms of our own security? 
Yeah, so one of the things that I know that is a priority right now is to continue to ramp up the production of therapies, right? Because that actually helps us get to the next phase, to an endemic phase, which is if you contract the disease, you know that you can get a therapy and that actually reduces the anxiety right. and the disruption. Right. So that's really the short-term challenge that society faces and we're helping you know, in the production of that as well. Well, terrific, Mark. You've been faithful. You've done a lot to be able to make it so that this illness has been contained and delivered again another quarter. What an incredible stock. Mark Casper, the chairman, president, CEO of Thermo Fisher Scientific, TMO. We've been behind this one for hundreds of points. Mark, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Jim, thanks so much for having me. Just a great American company. I said, just a great American company. Mad Money's back in. Are you ready? Keep that turn. Light round comes right over with Betsy in Texas. Betsy! Booyah, Jim from North Texas. Good to have you on the show. Uh, so glad you're available to help us home gamers. Sure trying. I would like your opinion on Boxed. B-O-X-D. Okay, uh, we are being very harsh on companies that came publicly back, even though ones we like. So I am just going to have to say I'm withholding. Let's go to George in New York. George. Yes. Go ahead, George. Oh, is this Mr. Kramer? It is Jim Kramer. How can I help? Oh, Jim, say, uh, you had a corporate executive on your program a couple, three weeks ago. Very impressive. A graphic packaging. Well, I, I happen to like the packaging business. It's where I'm from, and they make non... They make non-cyclical packaging, which is really pretty good. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, not all bottoms are equally bottomless. How deep does the rabbit hole go for PayPal? Kramer investigates next. You are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Not all disappointments are equal. Some are much worse than others. Last time, we got a textbook example of bad and worse. PayPal and Starbucks both disappointed, and their stocks plummeted when we saw the headline numbers. But Starbucks eventually bounced back. After coming three bucks in after-hours trading, it only finished down just a buck. PayPal, on the other hand, immediately fell 10 points, then 20 points. Oil fall even further during today's trading, finishing down $43, or nearly 25%, and a little more in after-hours in relation to, yes, Facebook. So what's the difference between a Bible dip like Starbucks and a horrific house of pain like PayPal that we have to make decisions about? Simple. With Starbucks, the disappointment was what happened during the quarter. It's a thing of the past. With PayPal, the disappointment was what they had to say about the future. Starbucks got hurt this past quarter because its Chinese business plummeted and its People's Republic went into COVID lockdown. Anytime there was an outbreak in a city, the stores closed. At the same time, their U.S. business experienced unprecedented cost increases, not all easily passed on. But Starbucks also told us that in the U.S. stores where Omicron has already blown through, their numbers are up nicely. Obviously, Omicron is still doing horrific damage. But in many areas, it's already peaked, and Starbucks is seeing its sales come back stronger than ever. 
And while its costs have gone up, the company's put through two price increases to offset the damage, third on the way. Those price hikes haven't at all put a dent in sales. To me, that means the next quarter could actually be an upside surprise. But we've got to get a handle on what happens in China. Now, how about the disaster that is PayPal? One I'm way too familiar with because we unfortunately own this for our charitable trust. Can't win them all. First thing you need to know, PayPal had a pretty darn good 2021. Lots of new customers, good modernization of MO, and a digital wallet that could be the consolidator if the company plays its cards right. 20% growth isn't bad, and it seemed in the cards for the foreseeable future. However, unforeseen issues from Omicron to inflation to a decline in the rate of online sales, at least for them, although Facebook Meta seems to have suffered similarly, they cut into PayPal sales and led to a dramatic reset. Rather than seeing perhaps as many as 50 million new accounts coming, it might be something as low as 15 to 20 million. Not good. PayPal's previous goal of 750 million users, something CEO Dan Schulman laid out as Investor Day a year ago, scrapped. Suboptimal. So PayPal's a growth story where the growth is slowing even if some of it's because of lost business from its former parent, eBay. The next quarter could be disappointing, something that could cause even further disillusionment. Now, it's not over for PayPal. They could get bigger in crypto. They could go buy Robinhood or another stock trading platform. They should do that. More monetization of Venmo. Maybe PayPal could simply buy back massive quantities of their own stock if they think it's gotten too cheap, which they definitely do. Maybe Dan Schulman buys a lot of stock. Yeah, takes the same page as Netflix's Reed Hastings. A lot of stock in the open market to prove us that the fat lady is not singing. When high-profile stocks are roaring like Alphabet or UPS or AMD, we tend to forget the lash of a mistake. And it was certainly a mistake that I made when I decided not to dump PayPal for the trust the moment I heard they were looking for takeover targets like Pinterest. That was bad. I own that. I know the stock's down huge, but my discipline says do not sell into an emotional vortex. I will talk about this Friday at our 1230 Club meeting. I am more inclined to buy stock here, not sell it because the company does have a huge installed base and a great balance sheet. At this point, PayPal has no friends, no supporters, no hope. That's more of a reason to purchase than to panic. Yep, as I told club members this very evening, I'd rather be a buyer in the anger and capitulation, not a seller, as painful as it is for me. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.